I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. What's going on, everybody? Hope you are having a wonderful week so far. Um, first of all, before we get into the podcast, please hit subscribe. Please give us a review if you are enjoying these podcasts and please share them to your mates. Uh, it keeps the podcast going and I love you forever if you do that. So podcast time this week and I'm really excited about this one. Jax Jones is somebody that I have been a friend with for since around 2018. Um, he's one of the hardest working people i know out there he's one of the best pop writers i've worked with and i believe this in the industry generally he's been behind some of the biggest dance records in the world and also he has a very or an extremely successful career in writing dance records for himself um this conversation was really really good and we got pretty deep towards the end so without further ado Jax Jones. Mr. Jax Jones. What's cooking, man? Uh, I'm good, bro. How are you, man? Yeah, I'm good. Where are you? Looks beautiful back there. Oh, thank you, man. Just in my garden, there's a paddling pool, a splash pool just there. Nice. That's the, uh, I'm out here somewhere, somewhere in the UK, uh, close enough to an airport, which is great for me now. It was, I used to, I grew up in London mm. and this is more green space than I've ever had. <laughs> concrete jungle concrete. And, uh, I've in exchanged the it for horse. yeah i've exchanged <laughs> it for literally behind my house i've got some horses they're not mine but like they're just hanging out some horses you can go and see them and some cows although poor cows i think they're getting ready for slaughter it's that kind of place um and then um yeah it's, it's very quaint it's nice how how's how the how do you find it oh man you know, it was basically during, I love it because during lockdown mm. last year, I spent most of my time uh, up north. Uh, my my wife is from a county called Lincolnshire. Big and it's just like, mid, it's beautiful, big up Lincolnshire. Yeah. And like, it's, it, we, we just went there because we wanted to just have more space and, uh, um, you know, there wasn't another house for like, I don't know, half a mile either side. Mm. So I was making tunes on my, uh, di- on the dining table in my father-in-law's house. And we had a little baby there. And I think just during that time, I was like, do you know what? I'm ready to leave. Mm. Uh, yeah. And it's actually banging for your creativity. Um, cause it kind of reduces the amount of information you're mm. taking in and you just don't leave as much yeah. unless you have to. So it's like, uh, it's just perfect, man. So I really do love it. I'm, I'm probably sounding well old, but it's just about that stage, man. <laughs> Mate, honestly, like from, I've always grown up in the country. So like for me growing up in Somerset, like we don't have neighbors, like we have fields, we can go on walks in the fields. It's like, it's, I'm super lucky to have had that, if you know what I mean. And, and I think it's, it does 
it's different. The creativity for me is different from being in a city. Like, I think there's a part of the, the city that gives you a creativity and then there's part of the countryside that just allows you to, like, go deep into the creativity. But I think it just, different times in your life, you need different things, right? Yeah, I think, I don't regret where I grew up because I think London is such a special place mm. for, uh, like, the amount of culture that I got exposed to. I mean, I'm Turkish and Chinese, yeah. right? So already it was it was an interesting <laughs> it's a mix, mix of everything. And then my yeah, and then like uh, the music in my house was uh, my stepdad was Nigerian mm. and he was around most of my life. So like he uh, his music collection it was mostly black music. So mm. it was like you know uh, so that was my my musical diet. And then th- then just through friends, I was exposed to more stuff, whether it's like... So, it, like, I wouldn't have got that if I wasn't yeah. living in London. It's, like, one of the only places in the world that you can have that. And then just the opportunities, do you know what I mean? Like, uh, mm. there's just so much stuff for kids. If you're whatever you're into, yeah. there's something there yeah. in London. Whereas, I guess, out here, you're, you're left to your own devices a little bit, which has its pros, do you mm. know what I mean? As you say, you can kind of... You find yourself digging in a little bit more. Yeah. Perhaps you're a bit more focused. I think it. Uh, I think it yeah. makes you become a good introvert. Yeah, because <laughs> there's like no other distractions really around here. But again, the the negative side of it is growing up here. You have none of that culture. Like, without sounding disrespectful, like there's like a couple of Indian families around here. And there's no black culture at all. I have to go to Bristol for that, which Bristol's rich of that culture. But like, yeah, there's there's nothing. It's just white farmers, which <laughs> which is great if you want to make country music. But um, yeah, it's do you know what I realized that different. about myself? Like when I listen to, um, have you ever like done an exercise where you listen to music that you don't like? Mm. Yeah, and you try to understand. Yeah what you don't like about it mm. and my thing is definitely like when something's i'm because black music is so part of like just was so part of yeah. my dna growing up it, it's like if, if there's a record that doesn't have those elements in there even whoever's singing it mm-hmm. but as long as the, there's no thread line of some sort of like yeah. interpretation of it or something i really just don't relate to it i yeah. find it really hard like so like some even some aspects of dance music like there's some techno where it's so rigid i'm like i just it's just this, german just, as fuck there's no swing here <laughs> like yeah i can't I, like i don't i just can't like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No, I <laughs> do you know that. what i mean uh, what what music do you what what would be the what you would listen to that you dislike what now yeah oh what that i listen to that i dislike now like uh oh man like kind of very germanic stiff techno mm. so it'll be like uh or overly aggressive music mm-hmm. like i still struggle a bit with metal mm. it's like uh and kind of and now is yeah so th- those two genres are like st- i just can't like yeah. it just doesn't yeah, i just yeah. can't get any further with it i'm trying and like trying to see the beauty in it but i really struggle have you tried country i love country mate i have got i've got to send you a playlist send me the playlist my mate made this playlist and he's from like he's from here around here like country's not big in the uk obviously but jesus christ is the best playlist i've ever heard in my life 
listen to it all the time. And it's like, I don't know what it is about country, but the simplicity is so good. I mean, it's soulful. Like, yeah. it, you know, it's got it a lot of, even though, yeah, when you think of country music, you think of, uh, obviously, someone white, but ultimately it comes from the same area. Yeah, so, yeah. like, it's got a lot of blues in there. It's got a lot of, like, soul in there. Um, and I think that um, the storytelling in country is amazing. Mm. And um, a, lot of dudes a, song, bu- a lot of dudes getting burned by their wives, let's be honest. That's that's very <laughs> true. It's quite sad, isn't it? Like, yeah. Yeah, some of the music. And I definitely like the cheesier side of country. I remember I was obsessed with... Uh, um, uh, what called the band Perry? Have mm. you ever heard of them? No, I haven't. They got this record. It's like if I die young, bury me in satin, bury me, and it's just like so hooky, and like the harmonies are so fun to yeah. sing along to. It's like proper fun, man. Yeah, I'm into like the darker side of country. <laughs> <laughs> there's whiskey lullaby. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> there's, there's this guy called Colter Wall, and he's like a cattle farmer from like saskatchewan i'm not even saying it right but in canada in in the next yeah and he you look at him and you're like oh he just looks like this normal like farmer dude right and he sings and he's got the like deepest soulful voice and you're like how the fuck did that come out of his mouth and his songs are so dark but they're just there's just something about it that you're just like this is amazing. Like, I don't care. He's talking about killing his girlfriend because he che- she cheated on him and he's in prison. And it's like, it's dark, but I'll send it to you. It's really good. I'm keen to hear that. Yeah. I remember, uh, it's funny because dark music, we always, you like dark music. Mm. I remember we always talk, yeah. and I always lean like that, like kind of brighter, yeah. like kind Happy of lighter stuff. music. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? And, I, and we always, I think when we work together, that's what, makes it kind of interesting and i think like um in kind of r&b growing up there was very little dark mm. music it was like it was bedroom music yeah. do you know what i mean and it was more so more it was about crooning to mm. women and pleasing them but i remember there was an artist called life jennings okay who um was in prison he mm. wrote his album in prison and wow. then he got out and uh, um performed that like one of those talent shows that they used to have in New York and he just blew up and mm. it was just him and this guitar and he would, it, I think that was the closest I would get to something a bit harder at that time where yeah. he's like singing about being locked up <laughs> and like uh, him and his guitar and waiting to get out and all that. Like, uh, again, dark music I do struggle with because mm. it, it, it just wasn't around. I think... Is that just because like, it wasn't... Sad, yeah. You didn't grow up around yeah. it or... Yeah, it just wasn't mm. there. Like you had the blues, but the blues was always quite, it, it was dramatic in the way they'd sing about something dark. It, although it was sad what they were singing about, it was it was all like that. So you just kind of like, that yeah, was just the way I it think, was. I think I mean? in blues, like the heritage as well, it was more so about like, we're in a shit time. We're going through yeah. shit times. So let's so try like and, yeah, exactly, exactly. Which you can see like, even like, I don't know if you, I'm sure, I'm sure you have, but like listen to like all the, a lot of the like the slavery or the cotton field kind of stuff. So, chants and songs and even though it, they're dark because they were of this, uplifting exactly at the same time. and you're yeah. and like it gives me goosebumps thinking about it like imagining those people in the cotton field singing this like it's very tribal and i think 
tribal brings people like it brings people together even if you're in a shit situation there's there's a there's some happiness to be seen in every situation that you're in and i think that's what's certain music does i agree with you on the metal side of thing like there's some rock and stuff things that i that i like to listen to but it's that's like the whole screamo thing my manager he loves like scream shit and i'm like dude can't man just can't how do they make their voice like that though i think that's that's a for talent. Me, the technical aspect of it is yeah. like quite sick like i remember i met i was in louis vuitton mm. and just I went, I, I, of course I went you on were. a bit of a... Of course you were. This is, <laughs> no, but this is actually a bit silly. I was, like, doing a bunch of these kind of... I did, like, the Queen's Jubilee and, yeah. like, bits and bobs. And I wanted... I was, like, sick of stylists. As I'm just going to dress myself. What would look... I'm going Louis Vuitton. That's what I... That, that was as far <laughs> as I went, right? And, um... But I remember... I met this really fun guy called Leandro. Shout out Leandro. And he turns out he's a metal singer mm. as well as working there. And he's just this short quite fun, charming Brazilian guy. And he played me his stuff and he was like... Yeah. <laughs> I was like, how... How did, you, how did you sing like that? Yeah. Like, that's incredible. Like, I, like you lit, he, 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 when he talks, he's like, hey, hey, Tim. Mm, yeah, How's yeah, it going, yeah, bro? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's mental, isn't it? it did, like, I, was, I was a huge fan of Linkin Park back oh, in the yeah, day and yeah. when they but had that was soulful man Linkin Park was soulful yeah man. but and then Chester would just fucking scream randomly and, <laughs> yeah, 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 but yeah. I, I listened to the, the, he, you wouldn't class that as metal though would you class no, that as like more like it was like emo pop 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 yeah, yeah pop pretty music, much yeah. yeah but I was they had an album called Meteora and they gave like a DVD with the album of like how they made it it was super interesting and how chester would like scream and you're just like they were all they did, didn't know how his throat just like took it because it was there was no other skill behind it apart from just fucking screaming as loud as you could but he could do it every time and it would his voice would never break and you're like how but these people man he trained it man these people. i love what you said about the escapism aspect of music because i think the i think it's true because i remember when I was growing up, music at the time, like I was listening to a lot of rap mm. and like just, um, there's a DJ Semtex podcast where mm. he talks about hip hop. I think it's called uh, Hip Hop Save My Life, right? Yeah. Or something like that. And like, and it, I'm, we and me and him were talking and for me, yeah, like that music, it, uh, on the surface, all this bravado and like, mm. but it was like, they were like raising you through what they were telling mm. you and giving you like ideas and teaching you about like how you want to approach things and yeah. giving you courage at points. You know what I mean? Like the, it is so true. Like uh, the, it's like the react, my reaction is to find more uplifting stuff yeah. rather than like trying to swallow in it. Like I, I think the saddest album I ever like properly listened to was like Damien Rice. Oh, which is just, you're going to laugh so much. Literally before this call, I was listening to Rye X and Damien Rice literally before this call. <laughs> It's so sad. Yeah, it's depressing. <laughs> it's really depressing. But I, I, I think like with the whole hip hop thing as well. I think, what was it like growing up listening to US hip hop when you were obviously growing up in London? Because that's like uh, uh, yeah. it's different. It's very different lifestyles. Although they can be very similar, but it's it's also very different. Yeah, I guess it. 
at the time you you bought US imports. That's mm, I used to yeah. do. I used to go in uh, on Saturdays. I used to get two pounds a week pocket money, mm. and I would save it. And once a month, I'd buy a CD. Like, and uh, at the time, I was buying like Flip Mode Squad, like which was Buster Rhymes, yeah. like whole. And, and you'd just buy it off the basis of one record. Mm-hmm. Like I used to like listen to the radio Choice FM. That yeah. used to be the one, and yeah, you'd hear one song and then you'd buy the album and you take that risk. And uh, or someone would recommend it, or, or I'd often nick the albums that my dad bought mm. and make copies and put them back. He, he never really liked me touching <laughs> his music, so that's how he used to do it. Um, and yeah, I guess it it felt like it, it was kind of cool because it it was real celebrity. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, you know, yeah. it's like they're they're over there. Yeah, these yeah, Americans, yeah, yeah. like they're amazing. They're so magical. Like I remember just being a bit. Just like how, how, like how is this made? How is this, this equipment? We must yeah. not be able to get it over here. Like, and uh, at the time, you just had like the emergence of some of the British rappers. Like, I remember Black Twang, uh, and the, these were they were like at the time British rap was like super conscious. Yeah, it was like it was very backpacky. Okay, and it you know and i often used to laugh the way i'd imitate british rappers it was like you know just how many complicated words could you get into a sentence but didn't really make sense so it'll yeah. be like as i sit here contemplating my cheese on toast the, uh, <laughs> melted goodness on top. it's like <laughs> do you think that came from the yeah. mc culture because fucking yeah. MCs talk so much shit on the mic <laughs> in drum and bass sets yeah i, I maybe i think perhaps you know what it was it was like you know, it's the English accent. Mm. We hadn't found a way at that time. Like now, we've definitely owned it. We found our swag yeah, on a record yeah, yeah. as with a British accent. But I think it was just if you weren't able, the the American accent was just so synonymous with music. It mm. was just hard yeah. to find the flow, and it just always sounded a bit dorky. The British accent. I think. I remember the first time I like thought a British MC was it was when we started getting grime and the the tempos changed. Yeah. Um, like grime was like massive for me. I started like it's kind of like outside of rap and R and B. That was the most I would say vocational genre I started to make. Like was where I started to get releases really? out with people and stuff like that. Yeah, it was. Uh, I did. Um, uh, I met. There was a studio in Brixton called Raw Material, and it was just a, a community studio. Mm. And I remember um, we got. I was using the studio. I met other rappers there and that's where I started making, like recording them and giving them beats and like, uh, and then that obviously it was like street rap. So around the time you had a lot of drug dealers, um, big crews in Brixton and they'd make mixtapes. Yeah. And it was the hardest shit. Like it was like, uh, uh, there was a a crew called Roadside G's and there was a, uh, like one of them still going now, this guy called RA. Yeah. And um, like they would just come in and we'd make songs. Mm. And uh, I remember, um, and then Big Nasty, I bet Big Nasty all those years ago. He's uh, obviously, some hilarious. of your listeners probably won't know who he is. He's, <laughs> He's amazing. Like, he was always a character. <laughs> yeah. Like, he would just sit in the studio, get high, and make these songs. And I did this song with him called Brushman. Um, and there was another guy called Ripper. Yeah. Uh, that, it was me and him. That it, We were the duo. Like, and he was like the more beats guy, and I was like the musical guy. So, you, did, you, did you ever rap? I definitely tried to rap. Like, I was fully rapping from, like, 11, from, like, age 10 to about 16, I was rapping. Mm-hmm. I fully was trying to rap. Yeah, like, yeah. I was a, I was a Nas toy. Like, so mm. I was basically 
anything I was I would take like Nas verses and rewrite the words <laughs> to learn the flow. Yeah, yeah, do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like yeah. and um I remember I did like I won my year six talent competition doing something similar to Men in Black. <laughs> I like did a Christmas version and uh like uh I had this rhyme book, you know, and I just would write and write and um I think the 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 nail in the coffin though for my rap career was when uh I w- there would used to be an open mic called Deal Real mm. in Carnaby Street on Carnaby Street and I went there to spit and just no one was really feeling me and I was like maybe this isn't <laughs> maybe it should be game over <laughs> stick to the pop yeah, career yeah. <laughs> I know and then I was singing as well yeah. like because uh, all my I think at the time like I was singing because I they, if you sang you get girls yeah. so like a lot of my friends you know that were singing just all the girls would just be loving them and just go, oh, he's so amazing. I was like, right, I need to sing. And, and like, it's amazing what you do as a kid for, to get girls. <laughs> literally, like, uh, it was like, uh, that, was, that was the thing, man. So, like, uh, there was a big artist at the time called um, Music Soul Chant, mm. and that was who I was trying to sing, like, it yeah. was kind of like Neo Soul stuff. Yeah, because my intro to UK hip-hop... I guess it was like early day grime, but it wasn't really grime then. It was a, this guy called Skinny Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Council of State of Mind. It was literally, that was literally one of the first vinyls I bought ever. Um, That's it. But I, I never really got into the whole UK hip hop scene until, I guess until Dizzy got involved with it all. I mean, Dizzy is classed as a dance album in some yeah, circles. I, I remember so. looking at it on yeah. Mixmag, like, it's, uh, yeah, Dizzy, I mean, that album was quite seminal for me. Yeah. Boy in, in the, the corner. corner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was the, the first kind of moment that, you, I guess you met an artist that had that much influence, but did it all himself, pretty mm. much, just him on the PlayStation. Yeah. And um, uh, I remember that was like a myth at the time. Like, we'd literally talk about that, like it was Puff the Magic Dragon, like, oh my days, mm. like, he made this on the PlayStation. Yeah. And uh, just the stuff, it was, he was using words that we all used, and mm. it was the first time you, like, heard yourself, but then kind of reaching all of those people. No, it's, it was a massive, massive album for me, and I think it was like a little f- bit complicated talking about it now because now he's not held in high regard. But it sucks, <sighs> yeah, so, but I, I, yeah. I, I feel like the 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 past. You, we can still talk about the past of, of how iconic it was at the time. And let's be honest, totally. he was the biggest thing that happened to British grime, British black British culture in music at that time. Um, because he had yeah, it was such the first, like truly authentic yeah. crossover album. Like, yeah. I, and yeah, like the rest of, I remember, I mean, it was one of the reasons why I stopped making black music. Really? Like, like you couldn't, not that album, but just generally, because that came out, I must've been in my early twenties and the, you couldn't really make money from black music mm. at the time. Yeah, like yeah. you couldn't make a career. It was very much like uh, you couldn't. Su- it was harder to support yeah. yourself. Yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? And I remember a lot of the grime acts would make pop records. Yeah. Like that's what you did. Like you know, you had end uh, Tinchy. I mean, Endos were pop, kind of pop from the start, but yeah. like Tinchy, you know, he's from. Uh, uh, Rust Squad, and then you know mm. he was a super credible grime act. Then he started making pop music. Wiley with wearing my Rolex and all yeah. that. That's Skepta's early stuff, like, mm. uh, after the grime stuff, it's like straight up pop music because 
to survive, you had to like start making really commercial music. And I think the Boy in the Corner album was like your kind of yeah, it was, it was so authentic, and mm. then it connected with so many people. It's like, oh, this is cool, but it's almost too late because I was like, you, I made that leap. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I think the I thing would... with with Boy in the Corner as well is that it was commercial but still underground, and I think there's that thing is like, there's only a few people in this whole industry that I feel personally has actually been able to nail that. Oh, it's that's. I mean, that's the holy grail right. of artistry right like if you can nail like being super credible and yeah. underground and then it becoming pop mm-hmm. music or like becoming mad popular yeah like that spot is reserved for a handful of people yeah, like yeah. It, it, it and it's so funny i took like uh people laugh when i refer to my career as being quite mediocre but like they go, well, what, how can you say that, whatever? But it's yeah. like in the grand scheme of things, like the first bit is like breaking in and then it's like everyone's ahead of you, mm-hmm. right? And then when you get in and then you look at what everyone else is doing and mm-hmm. the act- when you deep it, like the layers to some of this shit, yeah. it's like that's the cream. It's mm-hmm. like if they manage to do that and I guess you've got Daft Punk, you've got Kendrick Lamar. In the UK, you've got like Santan Davis, probably yeah. our new version of that. Do you know what I mean? Where it just becomes pop do you know what i'm saying yeah, um yeah. the new six like, silk stuff which who the six silk stuff which is um Ooh. oh who is that oh, i have to google this it's the it's because i haven't heard of them you have you definitely have it's um it's a duo why do i don't know why i haven't haven't anderson pack and oh silks uh silk um six you're talking about uh and bruno mars and bruno mars oh yeah it's hard dude that stuff is just legit as fuck but even that's like hard. even i find like even the grime stuff that's in the uk right now like it's there's still a pop side to it which i feel is it's not what dizzy did true there's still like melodies and there's still like the, the records that do really well there's still like a hook melody that kind of keeps people which keeps the radio happy entertained mm, yeah, yeah yeah well that's i think santan dave is probably the most interested about that because mm. I, I like I, I think you shouldn't be afraid of a hook like at the end of the I day agree, like yeah. you know I'm always. I've the, always been afraid of them. <laughs> yeah, you always you always fight me when we talk about this. But like, there's an art form in writing totally. that. I think it's what you put around it. And like, you know, it's Dizzy's first album. Although it sounded hard as fuck, but it like there were still choruses. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah, yeah. I think that it's kind of if you're if you want to go on a record and just do stream of consciousness for four minutes just don't expect it to sell that much exactly, like, yeah all that not many people will hear it because i think you need those hooks for it to travel mm. do you know what i mean and that's always one of my main priorities when i'm making music because i want it to travel yeah do you know what i mean so like i always look for that in an album you know and um so when you with dizzy you still had like i i i love you yeah i i i and like Oh, he's just a rascal. Yeah. He's just a, like these were all like and uh, like Jezebel and all that. Like they were still 
hooky. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And his whole flow was hooky. Like you could remember the whole verse. Mm. I think that's still important. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, and even uh, I guess with Dave, like, where I'm getting to with that is like, you got someone who doesn't have any features. There's no singing. Yeah. It's just him and talking about his life and how he thinks about himself or whatever it is. And that is hooky in itself. Mm. Like just the way he says it and like, and then for you to go number one, and it's mad. Do you know what I mean? And do bigger num as bigger numbers than some US rappers yeah. in their first week. Do you know what I mean? Which is which is amazing to see that you can do that nowadays with the streaming and and how how that is. Did you see the Dave um, Brit? I think it was in during lockdown the Brit uh, live show that he did with the, when he sang his song with Black. the electric guitar and that. Of a dance, no. all through the fire, in the fire. <laughs> he did black on the oh, on with the, the, piano. the piano. Yeah, yeah, Dude, yeah. Man, that like gives me goosebumps every time I watch it. If I'm feeling sad, That's I crazy. watch that. <laughs> that lifts you up. That's it, amazing. I think it makes me feel worse, but uh, it's it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a moment for sure. No, I love that. Oh, um, talking of hooks, you are literally the hook king. I would say in current. I appreciate that. Current music and not in a way where it's super obvious. Although I think some people would say your hooks are obvious, which I think is actually a, like, it's definitely a good thing. And I don't mean that in a horrible or a disrespectful way. Um, the way seeing, seeing you work is like, I've I've I say this behind your back to everybody, but you are literally one of the one of the best songwriters I've worked with. Um, I appreciate you, and man. and I think it it shows in your success. Um, why why is writing a hook so important to you? Wow, well, it's a big question. I think. For me, the music is about like growing up on producers like the Neptunes and mm. they used to have accolades like, um, you know, I think at one time the Neptunes had like 20 records on the radio. And I also loved Dark Child and Timberland. Like yeah. the, the, the success was part of it. Mm -hmm. Like, and, I, and so. I never set out to make music just for myself. Yeah. So part of doing that is writing something that's hooky. Mm. And the um, uh, for me, that's also kind of tied into just my experiences and my relationship with music was very much like life or death. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I had to make music work yeah. or you're kind of fucked. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? So it it's very hard for me to just make it and be pure self-expression. Yeah. So it, the the hooks, yeah, it's like a balance of wanting lots of people to hear it. And I naturally like hooky music. Yeah, Don't yeah. get it twisted. Like I would always gravitate to that kind of music. Um, as like kind of like I'm an observer of art. So I'll watch something very art house. I'll read something very deep and I'm quite academic as well. So I can, but then... I'm super basic. Yeah. So like, I like, you know, if you were to ask me what my favorite film was, it, it wouldn't be like, I don't know, Shawshank Redemption or something. It would be like Rush Hour, bro. I love Rush Hour. Like, 
<laughs> that bit when Chris Rock does the dance, that's <laughs> my shit. Best bit. <laughs> right. So, like, it's kind of, you know, that all comes out in the studio, and yeah. uh, the the finding that is like it it's like super exciting to me. It's like, oh man, like we've stumbled on this perfect group of notes and words. And for me, when that comes together, it's like something in my brain just clicks. And Mm. like, I'm just like, oh, I get very excited. It's like, you know, you've found the pearl in the oyster, you know, it's like, and I start to imagine all the people that are going to listen to it and love it. And it's going to be their favorite song for six months. And it's just like, that gives me a big buzz like it's like uh it, it, and and it started from nothing yeah i just love that power in that do you know what i mean and th- that i'm a big fan of like art that is quite it appears simple but mm. underneath the amount of decisions that had to be made to get to its simplest form is a really interesting exercise for me like yeah I was actually I guess on a basic level. It's like, what's the perfect kick sound? It's like, no, yeah, that. totally. Cause like I was many, many times over. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I was yeah, on the yeah. way back from seeing a mate this morning. Um, and I was like, let me listen to all of your stuff on the drive back. And I was like, as an elements of all of these records, they're so simple. Meaning there's very little, it's not like, oh my God, where did that sound come from? I did not expect that, or I didn't expect this, or like, how the fuck has he made this? It's like, no, there's literally an fucking amazing hook. And that's all we need here. Like, and there's complexities in the melodies and in the hooks, but other than that, that's realistically what you're doing. But people don't realize how hard that is. Like it's hard to do. It yeah, is, yeah. And also the amount of time, like I, I've seen how long it takes you to finish a record. If I compare that to myself, like I literally, <laughs> I'm like three hours and done. Otherwise I hate it. <laughs> but it's like, let's talk about the, the process so people actually understand the process of writing a pop record, if you know what I mean. Like how long does it actually take because it it is a process for you and i know it is i mean it varies for different people like i think um i don't know if my way is the best way but for me on average it can take from six months to a year to get and i'm not working on it every day don't get twisted i tend to i like slow burn Mm. on stuff i hate when I have to deliver something in a week. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And you get to that because I tend to like tweak even up to release. Like if I'll be changing really? the master out and all that, those processes. But generally that process is like, don't fuck up my song. Yeah. Because once I've got to like mix level, it's pretty much there. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So like the, um, it's more so I like to leave it space for it to ruminate mm. uh, i like to like uh, let life take over a little bit to give me some something i might inspire me to do something on it or because they're like little puzzles yeah. do you know what i mean and um it's not always fun it can be quite agonizing and the, um it the, my attention to detail i've now learned isn't average do you know what i mean in terms of like like i will i will try to like I'll spend time and I won't let go on a record if I think there's something there. Like yeah, I, mean, I agree. Yeah. I remember uh, one of my songs, This Is Real, 
uh, with Ella Henderson. Uh, I had that for six years. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I'd still kept coming back to it because for me, the only the music is, I guess, perhaps something I should explore in the future is trying to push myself from a like a sonic perspective mm. of like, oh, what can you do to get certain sounds? But I, like the kind of um, I think because of the internet for me a little bit it's kind of ruined that mystique a little you know um, when with like the producers that I grew up on it was never about sound design no. it was more about the whole thing do you know what I mean yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. so it became where did they sample that from yeah. or what keyboard are they using to yeah, get yeah, that yeah. essentially a stock sound <laughs> like it's like so it, the actual barrier was less about yeah. expertise it was more about exposure or like money like mm. could you afford that yeah. do you know what i'm saying and like so but i also think sound, I, yeah. I, I sorry to butt in but i also think yeah. like sound sound design and writing pop records which quintessentially is what you do to one of the best abilities at this moment in time like i don't think they go hand in hand no because i think the only person that i would kind of say does it to a certain extent, but I don't think they write pop records that well, or they have done in the past, but not as consistent as you as Flume, where yeah. his sound design is, and there's going to be loads of people going, oh, what about this person? What about this person? But like off the top of my head, Flume does it in a way where he can write extremely great pop records and his sound design is insane, but they're still not the pop records that you write. It's very different. But on Flume's records, the sound design is the the, the chorus. Like, yeah. that's the feature of yeah. the record. Like, you wait for that drop. drop. For me, it's all it's about the song. Exactly, like the, yeah. That's the uh, the bit you're looking mm -hmm. to for the record. So, yeah. for me, the music is actually just get out of the way. Yeah. But be present enough to keep you there. Do you know what I'm saying? Or, mm. And obviously, if I can find a hook in the music, then we're, we're fucking flying. Do you know what I mean? Like, Which you've done you know, many of times. Yeah. Oh, thank you, man. Like, it's it's. I need to do it more, to be honest with you. I used to write riffs all the time and just try and find stuff. And I think part of the challenge of it becoming that DJ lifestyle that I've adopted. Yeah. It's kind of at odds with all of that because yeah. you just you know you have to make records quickly when you're moving mm -hmm. around. So, yeah, yeah. Um. And uh, but I, like the I just had I went through a stage where I was in a band and I was signed to Atlantic. And I was always writing songs. I've been writing songs since I was 13. But where I really learned to write songs was when I was in this band. Mm. Like, because that's when I got exposed to essentially white music. Yeah. So, like, it was the first time I heard, I really rinsed myself in Bob Dylan mm. and Johnny Cash. Yeah, yeah. And I talk about Damien Rice, mm. all this depressing shit. And then, like, <laughs> but I was obsessed with it because this is where the kind of do, do, do or die thing come from is, like, you know, I was the kind of person because I had nowhere else to go. I had to make every situation work. Yeah. So like, you're kind of, I was in this band. I didn't know anything about mm. the genres that we were referencing. So I'm going to go deep. And I just went so hard. Like, and in terms of songwriting, it's amazing. Do you know what I'm saying? And yeah, yeah. country, you know, and then the lighter stuff, like you, the script, you know, or like Coldplay, like for that kind of bigger stuff. And by the end, and then I worked with some of the best songwriters in the world. Like, um, Egg White. Was that during um, the band situation when you were in the band? During the band, mm. yeah. We were signed. We made an album that never came out. Um, we were on Atlantic. It was a big deal. Like, yeah. it was like a, 
and traveled around the world writing songs. You must have written like, I don't know, 500 songs. Wow. Like, uh, and, you know, it's full of rejection. It was a very difficult time. But mm. out of it, I just learned how to write songs properly from yeah. like a formal perspective. Yeah. And I took that into dance music uh, when I, when I like it got like the idea started looming and the full first execution of it. Oh, we did I Got You, right? With Duke Demon. And then the second is the first time I fully put that to the test was when we did Won't Look Back. Mm-hmm. And I just sat and I wrote the whole song on my own. Yeah. I remember I hated the sound of my voice. So I got, um, there's a girl called Naomi who used to do BVs for uh, Paloma Faith. Mm. And like, she sat with me and would sing the things I was singing to hear it back in a diva so kind of style. Yeah, yeah. Which and, which like, record was that, sorry? It's this song called Won't Look Back. It's, uh, no one comes close to you. Your love, it makes me stronger. Was that no Duke what... or you? Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. like number two. It was yeah, his yeah, record. yeah. yeah over here yeah I got it. um and it was just like okay cool mm. like this is this is fun because i remember after i got you the literally the brief was um needs a follow-up like <laughs> let's get to work and, and it's gotta be better yeah i mean it definitely weren't better because i think i mean i got you is probably my purest that and you don't know me and I would say, where did you go a little bit? What about Ocean Drive? It's Ocean Drive was more, when I say pure, like Ocean Drive was a little more traditional. Yeah, do you know what I'm saying? Okay. Like sonically, uh, Duke had this amazing beat. Yeah. And where I guess we put a shift in on Ocean Drive is like me and boy Matthews, um, we spent 12 hours on that chorus. Mm. And I got I to give so much love to boy Matthews because he he sat and just bared with me, like, as I go, no, it's not good enough. We need to keep going. Yeah. We need to keep going. And we would literally, I think at the time, like, he was working at Pizza Express. Wow. I was working with Duke, and it was just this, we were in the studio for three weeks, and I just think we all just wanted it so mm. much. And we gave that music everything. Like, we left nothing on the table. Like, we, like, me and we just, and then Ocean Drive, mm. It's a lot of people reference that record to me and say how much it was like a really great record to them. And dude, it's for um, me, like even for me, yeah. like in more current days, not necessarily when it came out, I wasn't really paying attention to commercial music back then when it came out. But it's, I love it. I absolutely Thank love you, it. It's, it's a fucking insane record. And I think the thing that I love about it is the sonics of it as well and how it all just it it is escapism at its best for me in pop music yeah. i mean duke was uh uh that was my favorite part about working with duke was the uh, you know he was a true electronic head like that's that was his he loved it and like so he exposed me similar to when i was in the band before yeah. he just exposed me to a whole um, just catalog of music I've never heard before. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, this is sick!" Mm. And I think that was what was really quite cool about when we we're working together is I would just bring all those hooks and I'd fight for the hooks. Do yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, I remember we'd have really quite heated discourse about keeping elements in records mm. and what was good and what was not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And 
but his attention was in terms of his attention to sonics on production was that's where he just fucking loved it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. like, it, it was, it was great. It was a great inspirational time, man. It's really, it's really interesting. Cause I speak about this occasionally on the podcast and I speak about this all the time in person with friends and things like that. But how important is it to you to actually have a team to write music with rather than by yourself? Like what's the difference? Uh, they, you get different results for yeah. me and perhaps at different speeds. So um, from a like a functional perspective, I just write music a lot slower when I'm on my own, mm. like because I just think too much and I'll rip it up a hundred and one yeah. fucking times. It's a terrible habit. Like I'm so quick. The editor in my brain is so quick to jump in that mm. I've ruined something before it even starts. Yeah. So part of working with people is just to allow that not to happen. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and just to let me be a bit freer. Um, and then from a vocal, from a songwriting perspective, I just love the timbre of voices. So mm. there's nothing more inspiring for me in terms of trying to write something when you have a, a artist or vocalist in a room that has a personality. Yeah. And when they sing, you hear that personality and they've got a perspective so when you come together it's really like oh this is we're just getting out emotion mm. do you know what i mean and um and my job here is to refine that for you yeah and then the, um and then on the yeah so those but those two kind of go hand in hand uh i and then and just now where i've got more responsibility as a human being a dad and stuff like i having people around me just allows all of that to happen much yeah. quicker like uh i'm not 22 anymore where i have nowhere to go do you know what i mean and nothing well, it, like that <laughs> i think i think that's the thing is it which is weird for me i found that recently we were talking about it before we actually hit record is like how busy your life can get and then how little actually writing music how little time you allow writing music to to have of your life which Technically, it should be the main thing still. But I think because we spent so many years doing it beforehand, it's almost like kind of like a nine to five where it, it just gets done and you just get it done when it needs to get done. It's not something that you necessarily, this sounds terrible, but necessarily want to go and do sometimes because, but you're like, I have to do this. So I, I'm going to go enjoy the process, but it's like, there's other things that's happening in my life that are actually taking priority, which isn't the best way to look at it, but it's, it's strange how it works. Well, mu life feeds music. Yeah. See? And it's, I don't think music is symmetrical. Like, I don't think the time, like if you're working on the right thing, it can be like a very productive mm. time. But you know, I, I, when and I'm not practicing anymore, you know, so I practice things like, like I experiment, don't get twisted. Like I'm working with people as part of my experimentation, yeah. you know, like it's like, oh, if I work with someone in this way, I wonder what happens, you know, mm. or at the moment I'm, I'm experimenting with like organization. Yeah. Like I've never been organized for my music. Like it's a fucking mess. And like, I'm experimenting with what comes out if I'm more organized. Yeah. Like, you know, if I, if I, like I'm working with this selection of samples for a bit. Like, what does that feel yeah. like? You know, and all that. And I've so seen those like project that, files, mate. I've seen those project yeah. files, and they make me sick. Yeah, <laughs> they make me sick. I know. I mean, you when you when I see your like monthly production <laughs> folders, and I'm like, this guy, bro, is killing me. Um, but the 
but bearing in mind, I don't finish anything unless it's coming out. Yeah. So like, I'm not at a stage where I'm practicing anymore. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think at the beginning, you've got to like, do your fucking 10,000 hours and yeah, yeah, be a yeah. slave to get to the level where you go, all right, now I'm just going to let the inspiration, like uh, go and acquire yeah. experiences and listen. For me, the best thing I can do for myself is listen to a lot of music that I find influential mm. and then be a, make, live life that makes me want to be creative. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And those two together, the rest of it is like kind of like, however i then get that out is like it, it for me it's like a means to an end mm, like and, yeah, and yeah. the more fun i can make it the better do you know what i mean like totally. so it's yeah you know if we can have a conversation and we hang out and then an hour of that we just make a banger like that's great it's more fun. I mean? yeah i want to go back yeah. to what you just said that you don't finish anything that's not going to come out this is yeah. this is where like i think you and i differ because how do you know that it's going to come out if you've not finished it Oh, I tend to take like a, a, a gamble okay. everything on red, yeah. uh, you know, I gamble on black. So mm. like I can kind of identify if I think something's good yeah. within quite early, sometimes too early. Like I can ruin it. Do you know what I mean? Or, but like, I'll know if something's worth it mm. and if it's the right time for it. Um, and like with one of my songs at the moment, Where Did You Go? I remember um, I, the demo, the first demo was fucking terrible. It was just like a ploddy uh, demo with um, just like a Zoom recording as the vocal. But mm. I knew then it was something great in it. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I remember my label hated it. Everyone apart from my manager and my father-in-law, he's my main A&R, Is my he? father-in-law. <laughs> like, yeah, everyone else kind of weren't really into it yeah uh deandra my wife was into it um and then i just plowed you know sometimes people can't hear what you're hearing mm -hmm. so that's what i generally don't try to avoid playing things to people yeah, too same. early yeah. um yeah and like i try and avoid feedback unless it's i want the feedback mm -hmm. do you know what i mean and um and then you know and then it's gone on to do what it's done now um and the I'm used to gambling on a chorus because mm. that there's no secret to my thing. But like, what I trade on is a big chorus. If it's yeah. got a big chorus, I know that it's gonna be okay. Yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean? It's yeah. gonna be. It's gonna go somewhere. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, because I think for me, is I'm kind of the opposite where I write a record, play it out, test it out. If I love it and it reacts well. I'll live with it for a bit longer, tweak it a little bit, and then probably play it. I, I'm now at the point where a lot of my stuff I'm playing for six months before it comes out. More so to create more of a hype around it. Yeah, yeah. It's a marketing. <laughs> yeah. Form of marketing, yeah, yeah. Um, But I guess it's different with with pop music. I think club music is more experiential. Yeah. So, like, obviously the perfect release would be something you can enjoy in the club but also listen to outside the club yeah. like um which i think you need hooks for that right yeah. like you know so but the i actually with the lockdown and then the world opening up a little bit more in the summer of um 2021 
actually got a chance to have a bit more of a catalogue to mm. play out. And that felt good. Yeah. Like, y- you, I would play out the shittiest sounding demos with no fear yeah. and just to gauge. And it was a really great tool to tweak, mm. you know, like, oh, where am I losing them? Where Do they like this bit? Yeah. Is the bass hitting enough, like, for them to dance, you know? And you don't always get that in the studio, to be fair. Um, so, yeah working that far up front. I don't know if I'll ever have that again. Yeah. Um, but it is, yeah, again, something that I'm experimenting with, like finishing to have records to play. Cause I'm trying to, I remember Duke, I read Duke's mention one time that to me, like, if you can play, I always do my Duke voice. Cause he talks like, like that. Like, oh, yeah, if you play, like <laughs> 60 minutes. Uh, I remember he said one time, like, you know, if you can play 60 to 90 minutes of all your own music, like, you're yeah. an artist at that point. Yeah. It's a very light definition of an artist, but I, w- I always remember that. And like, it does, when you play, even if it's unreleased, like if you can, you're performing, it's mostly mm. your own stuff. It feels fucking great. Because it's, it's like, this is why they're here. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's the I'm best. Not, yeah. There's, Obviously there's selector DJs that are fucking sick. Like one of my favorite being Jack Master, do you know yeah. what I mean? And all that. But like, um, it's kind of, for, for me as a producer artist, like, good play your tunes man <laughs> i think i think it's also it just mean especially if you're writing a lot of stuff that and you're playing a lot of stuff that's unreleased like people think you're being a selector and then you're not actually being one you're just playing your own it's something something i love about that and then it's, it's like wild, everyone's it? asking for ids and you're like yeah that's mine it's not ever coming out sorry but like <laughs> i love that shit um i want to talk about the transition from the period in your life when you were writing for other people to the period in life when Jax Jones came around, because I think it's like a, I think it's like a big part of a lot of people's careers where sometimes you just got to bite the bullet and fucking do it. And that's why I call myself Jack Jones. Yeah. You know, to do something on your own, you just got to go like, yeah. And so, so let's talk about that a little bit. Like what had you done previously and what was the kind of process in your head and what was the thoughts and feelings going on in your head to go, I need to do this by myself? I think uh, I was always trying to just find my place in the music industry. So like mm. my journey wasn't asymmet- it wasn't so, like a linear journey like yeah. where I was always trying to be an artist. I've started off, so it was kind of like by any means necessary, I will survive in music mm. and so I was a session player, mm. you know, I learned classical guitar. Um, and I, I was, I realized this the other day, like, cause people always go, oh, do you get nervous? I don't really get nervous. Mm. Like, no matter how big the audience is, I don't, it doesn't bother me. And I've been performing since I was eight years old, yeah. like doing guitar recitals. Do you know what I mean? So like, um, the kind of, you know, the natural when I wasn't making money as a producer, yeah, which was at the time very difficult back in two thousand and fucking six. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it yeah. was like back then that was just like old geezers. Yeah. That's who producers were. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. we kind of um I was session playing. So I was playing in churches and I was a music director for N dubs at the time. Oh, and really? I, it, I, yeah man, I was playing I did N dubs first uh, all the way up to like their third album like all their arena mm. tours and stuff i was managing i was actually producing the show yeah, so like yeah. you'd hire the musician and put together the translation of their album live yeah do you know what i mean so all the arrangements and shit 
So it's very much like in my skill set, and then I played guitar. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So um, that I learned so much from them, to be fair. Yeah. And um, the that dragged me out of my overdraft. Do you know what I'm saying? And my student loans and all that shit. And then I came off sessioning because I was just like, okay, I'm not the best guitarist. So yeah. how can I now grow? And so that's when I joined. Uh, so we started this band. We got signed, and I was really lucky. And in that respect. Um, to go to the next level, be exposed to what we have. But again, that wasn't quite right. But that was the first time I had a taste of being an artist okay. and thinking about, okay, cool. So like being an artist is really, it's quite a good place to be. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, I tried being a manager for a bit. And that didn't feel so great. I think managers have a pretty thankless job. Shout out to all the managers because yeah. we're doing the Lord's work, really, if I'm being honest. Uh, and then the... I tried producing for other people. I just found that really hard. Like at first, I like I had my first like number one with this band called The Vamps. Can we dance? Like an old song. Did you do that? I was, yeah, I yeah, didn't yeah. know that. That's amazing. It's, it's like, oh my god, the plaque um, it smashed, which is probably an omen. It like fell off the wall. Oh my shit. Um, Let's not talk about that record again. <laughs> um, the um, mate, I did Peter Andre. I didn't know I've, this. I've done, I've did um, Peter Andre. I did some end up stuff. Mm. I did a, that playing with fire, the guitar solo on that. That was me. I did comfortable for Talisa. I did a, um, uh, I did some really, at the time I was listening to like shitloads of Taylor Swift. So I was yeah. like trying to do that kind of like guitar pop thing. And I remember yeah, yeah. at the time as well, you remember like Eminem, like, uh, um, uh, the songs he did with Rihanna, yeah, yeah. love the way you lie and yeah, shit. Yeah. I was like, man, this is it. I'm gonna do fucking these drums and guitar, like I'm a, this English crazy. boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, but I found it really hard writing for other people uh, because it was um, you, once you do the song and you thought it was amazing, then it would just be, be theirs to do what they want yeah, for a yeah. bit. And like, yeah, and I think. Um, when I met my manager, Dan Stacy, who was managing Duke at the time, he had me doing session work with Duke. And then the conversation was like, this is why I need to try some dance music. And yeah. I just did the same thing I did before. I just rinsed myself in it. And Duke, as I said, was a bit of an encyclopedia. And so I just got the best parts of it mm. as well. Yeah. Like it was like, it weren't like really surface level. Like I went deep. Do you know what I mean? And um, I fell in love with... I was like, this is a lot like rap. There's like a lot of history here yeah. and there's a lot of soul in this as well. But it like, came out around the same time. Yeah, and it's a black genre yeah. house music, yeah. do you know what I'm saying? And the um I was like and then I looked at people like Armin Van Helden, and was like, Oh, he's kinda cool, man. Mm. Like, like I could I relate to this, do you yeah. know what I'm saying? So it, 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 and then I think just so I was like, Cool, I'm gonna be honest. This makes sense. Like I'm gonna try and do this and the uh uh the yeah, and so it just became my explore in that. And that's where you got the name Jax Jones because the kind of uh, uh, just doing something on your own, not trying to be in a group, just standing on your own two feet and trying to do it. That, that uh, comes from being on your Jack Jones. So and, for any Americans that are yeah. listening, Jax Jones means alone, if you didn't know. That. Alone, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do something on your own. Yeah. It was, and it would change my life, man. Like, yeah. we got dropped from the label. I think I had... From all my record deal and all that, I had five grand left. I had to make that last and I was doing some session work to keep it going. That felt weird going backwards. Yeah. And um I remember when we did I Got You, um 
that was just like fuck mm. like and that song got a grammy nomination and a brit nomination and it went number one and some people say it's like it's one of their favorite songs of all time and mm. you know that was a song that i started as about my my girlfriend who's now my wife like yeah. it was just like a romantic record that i was trying to do about her and uh so like house music has blessed me mm. do you know what i'm saying i can't i can't complain man i'm very lucky I love that man. I love that. Um coming out with your first single, which I think correct me if I'm wrong, was housework. I had one but I had a couple before that. Housework was like the first, most first truly successful one. Okay. I, so like you, you I got put, you was kind of like my first record. Yeah, because right? that and was then, that was with Duke though, yeah, right? Yeah. I kind of got lost in that uh being named as a feature and then yeah. before I sang it. I did not sing it. <laughs> I wish I could sing like that, bro. And then uh, um, the I did a record called Go Deep, which came out on Duke's label, um, which was still like super credible. Like mm. you go, it was like sampling an old break, and it was super like it fit quite balearic. And yeah. that was when I was still like deep in trying to like I don't know sonically challenge myself. Yeah. And then um, and then. I did this song called Yeah, 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 which was like a FIFA soundtrack. And I yeah. remember like, that was just fun. But Housework was like the first one was like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, what's that, going on here? That was <laughs> when I, I obviously knew you from I Got You or fr- knew you like vaguely through I Got You. And then Housework came. And that was for me when I was like, okay, this is, he's, he's going to be around for a while. And I think I actually met, when did that come out? 2007 2016 to late 2016 like october or something and then i think i met you 2017 march 2017 yeah. at, um in miami for the first time oh is that would have been for groove cruise or something no that was for wmc's uh winning, oh, winning miami music music week. yeah miami music yeah. Week. we all had that dinner at the back of that can you remember that Oh my god! Yes, and it was MK was there, and like we we're all on that big tape. I was like, yeah, was a that, bunch that of was us. a fun dinner, man. And you were so sweet, bro. Like we've been friends ever since, man. Yeah, literally. Thing. Like I, yeah. I remember, like I remember sitting down and talking with you, and like legit, like this dude's cool. Like he's he's gonna be around for a while. Which like you you know how it is. You meet so many people in this industry, and it's everyone can relate to something to each other right but there's some there's some people that just stick in in your life for a bit longer and and i think that's really important but going from housework to where you're at now you've had some insane kind of milestones that's that's happened from housework what's that feeling when you're like okay this record's done well like i need to follow it up what like I've never personally had that. If you know, I mean, I've never had a hit record. I've had that Hallelujah like was big, man. I love that tune. Yeah, but I think with Hallelujah, I I never had that feeling. I need to follow it up, like because I was like, I there's it's Hallelujah. It's just it's its own thing. If you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and realistically, like I didn't write it. It was it's a it's fucking Candy Staten. Candy Staten wrote that yeah. like in the 80s. Yeah, like the bottom end on that. I remember I've been trying to replicate that bottom end, bro. I love that bottom. Just call it's me, so, mate. I got you. So, so groovy, you. bro. <laughs> um, but like, I think, yeah. So, so what is it like when you have to follow up something? 
what is the pressure? Is it especially at that stage in your career where you've like I'm on my own now. I'm doing Jacks Jones as an artist, no pun intended, and I have to deliver. It was. It felt quite natural. Okay. Like uh, I've been. I've always worked in a way where I've had to prove myself. Mm. Like you know, there were from the beginning. You know, my parents kicked me out over like no, I, it was very turbulent. But ultimately, I left home because they just weren't into the fact I was doing music. Yeah. So it was always about that. Like you just had to get it done. I yeah. never, the, so I was always probably to my detriment, a little bit results based. So I was like, cool, I've done this. Now I got to go. I yeah. got to do another one. Yeah, do you know yeah. what I'm saying? And the, um, I remember Joe, uh, Jonas Rassman, he was, um, we used to see him a lot. Uh, uh, and um, we used to do a lot of the same gigs before he went super, super deep. Yeah. And um, he, he, um, I remember saying to him, bro, like, I'm so frustrated. Like, I've done these songs with Duke and I just can't seem to get one away from myself. Like, what's wrong with me? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? I remember him saying, just, just trust in it. It's mm. in, it's in you. You can do it. Yeah. Like, you just got to follow it. It just is there already. Yeah. So you just got to allow it to happen. You know what I mean? And, you write catchy things. That's what you do. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, like, I was yeah. like, all right, cool. I'll keep going. And so when housework happened, it weren't, it literally was like, yes. Yeah. People are listening now and now I'm just going to fucking go. Like, yeah. and I remember, you don't know me. I had a 90 second demo of you don't know me. And I just said to my manager, we we're in Battersea. I pulled up at his house in the car. I said, this is it. Mm. This song's going to be huge. And he was like, really? I was like, trust me, bro. I can like, only imagine Dan saying really as well. <laughs> really? really? I said, trust me, bro. I think I called this song at the time. It's called Circles. And I just wanted to make, at the time you had a, um, uh, I've always, I guess I, I'm a little bit of a fanboy. So what I do is I tend to obsess over a record and go, I want to do something that feels, or has like the same amount of elements. Yeah. You know, so like at the time you had, um, Oh, do you remember Infinity Inc? Yeah, yeah. And just, I was just like, man, that's so fucking cool. Yeah, like, yeah, it's just yeah. a kick and a fucking bass. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, uh, and I was just, so I went, we wrote that, and all I had was the drums and the song. And then the uh, when I got the bass in there, it was just, I, I mean, I, all I had was the drum and the song, and I said to Dan, it was huge. Because just the song was just so fucking cool. Like, yeah. Ray just... She kills it as well. Vomited cool on that yeah. song, bro. Yeah. <laughs> and then what, when with the bass, I want to talk oh, about that. Yeah. I want to talk about that bass line because I, I know there's like, we've spoken about this plenty of times and I know there was controversy behind this, but I, I kind of want to get it out in the air of like what you did for the original as well. <laughs> I mean, the... Uh, we never, I don't write to samples. I try to avoid it because yeah. I think it's that's when your music can become a bit cookie cutter. Mm. Um, I tried to treat, so, unless it's some fucking obscure sample yeah. that isn't going to influence the melody. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't really like it when you, uh, yeah, try to write in that way. It's yeah. a bit too contrived for me. Yeah, yeah. So, like, um, so when we did that, just had. I treated it like a drum machine and a vocal. Like, mm. I love that feeling of house music from back in the day where it's like DJ Dion or, you know, what Daft Punk would feel like before they went full disco, you yeah. know, where it just sounded like there was one synth, one vocal and yeah, a drum yeah. machine. Like, yeah, yeah. I fucking love that shit. 
Do you know what I mean? So I think we just, I just did that on a 909 and a little bass line and a vocal. Mm. And um, the bass line was whatever. But I knew it was in this, when I was finishing the song off, I was, it was in the same key as Book of Shade. And I remember I was just a bit obsessed with everything they were doing and a bit obsessed with that bass line. So I thought, I wonder what it sound like underneath. And mm. and that's how, and it just happened. I was like, wow, this is either fucking great or terrible. Yeah. Like, uh, and um, the guys cleared it. They got Book of Shade and Mandy. They came to the Brits, you know, when it got nominated. And um, they just, just were like, you know, it's our kids' favorite song. This is just mm. fucking amazing, you know, and, that song, it's obviously one of my biggest records, and for them, it would be it's their biggest ever thing. And who would have thought that that baseline from a seminal techno record? Jeez, I remember yeah. at the time their story is they they slowed it down to be no, they sped up a house baseline and mm. put it on a techno tempo. Yeah, and like and it like I I guess I took that and slowed it down to yeah, be a house tech back, record. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and the with hip hop elements in it and. It's not the first time it's been sampled. Uh, although I wouldn't say I'm a fan of the Will I Am sampled mm, version, the uh, yeah. from like an old Black Eyed Peas record. But yeah, I think sampling is always going to be tricky. Like as a 30 year old now, sometimes I get little irks when um, I hear something that's sampled. So I can imagine how everyone might have felt who was like a fan of the original. You feel like it's been fucked up, but I think from my perspective, it was quite in a soulful approach. Mm. I didn't write to that sample, yeah, like yeah. to in the essence of trying to have a hit, hit with yeah, that yeah, sample. Yeah. I never worked like that. No, yeah. but I think yeah. you hit the nail on the head there where you get irked being a 34 year old man. Like, I think when that record, when when did that come out? Eight, five it years came ago? out in 2017. Yeah, yeah so a while ago, so, five years ago. Yeah, yeah so yeah. like five years ago we were younger and didn't have necessarily the knowledge that we had that we have now and back then the generation was this sounds mad but pre-covid so the generation of house music was very different to what it is now and now there's so much record so many records being sampled that just irk me on a daily fucking basis and I, yeah, I, I think yeah. maybe that you kind of hit the nail on the head that back then the people that were getting irked by that sample were kind of in the same situation as what we're in now, right? A, a, a little bit like, you know, you can get, as you get older, you get a bit more jaded yeah. as well. So you're like, oh man, like why are you fucking with a classic or whatever? Um, I would argue, I guess at the time there was a, uh, prior to that during like the deep house renaissance yeah. in 2013 there were obviously anyone <laughs> i remember we used to say like just find an r&b record yeah put some piano on it yeah, yeah. it's a number one yeah. <laughs> do you know what i'm saying and uh you don't know me kind of came out in a barren time there yeah, wasn't true. like a season for house music true. at the time and so the, so i would argue that i wasn't being cookie cutter but um and i would I definitely hear what you're saying about now, though now the amount of music is much higher. Yeah. Like the volume of releases is wild. Mm. So like what, 60,000 songs come out every day yeah. on Spotify. Like there is uh, that in combination with the access to information, like the amount of YouTube tutorials to sound like this or do this mm. or how this was made, um, which all comes from a good place. But I think with all of that, there's a lot more, average music in my opinion 
Yeah, I think now. Do you know what I mean like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think also for me, it's more so because there's so much coming out. You have to stand out, and what's the easiest way to stand out is by putting with a, a sample, with a sample, yeah. with a sample of like a number one record from twenty from from the early two thousands, <laughs> where somebody else has worked really hard to write the song for months, and then you kind of stick. And it's I'm sounding like a massive dickhead by saying that, but that's truly how I feel, really. Like it, it. But I understand the business side of it. It is it is the business side of it. I think, like, for me, my favorite sampling records is repurposing. So, like, when totally. you take something and contextualize it in a completely different way, yeah, and that's when it feels really, like, whoa, that's really clever. So, yeah. like, have you frozen? Uh, no, my camera just stopped working, but I can switch. Okay, cool. Do you want to do that first, or no? We're oh, you back? Oh, he's back. Yeah, you could, like, you know. Like, I remember, like, the whole bad boy era, yeah. like, when Diddy was just sat his head. I'm talking about that because I just watched his documentary on Can't Stop, Won't Stop yeah, on, yeah. Uh, on Netflix. But, like, like that, taking soul records and turning them into these yeah. fucking cool as fuck pop, like, uh, rap records were just, it was sick. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, the Diana Ross, um, one of my favorite records of all time is uh, a More Money, More Problems. Yeah. And the sample Diana Ross. It just is just fucking dope like yeah. it and they just you obviously you're never gonna hear that if it were if like someone's spitting on that in that way like mm. that wasn't did it happen and yeah. i think um so that's probably that's when it's my favorite where there's some artistic element I put agree. on top Ka- kanye um, jay-z yeah. like for yeah, me, yeah like doing yeah. the best like i heard something on radio the other day and you you i don't even know who it is it was a grime record sampling um in for the kill oh uh that's tion wayne mate yeah. it's fucking awful i'm sorry <laughs> like it's, it's a little bit <laughs> i'm sorry if you're yeah, listening to and and i wouldn't yeah. i wouldn't often say this about but i'm like how did that like there's so much fucking good music out there like how did the people at radio one decide that this record actually gets on the place and i i know i sound like a dickhead and I'm sure I'm happy if somebody says this about my records, but there's so much quality music out there that how did that get in? And it's purely because of the LaRue in for the kill. It's not for any other reason. Just go play the original or go play the Scream remix because it's better. It's better. <laughs> or if he sampled the Scream remix, perhaps that would exactly. have been even more lit. Yeah. You know, show a bit more whip. No, I t- I, but I think that kind of reflects in the success of a record as well though if i'm being honest with you so like you know like the kind of yes it will be successful to Mm. a certain extent and be a moment in time but will it go to do big big numbers we have to wait and see like like my favorite sample record recently that stands out for me uh, was the a craze do it do it record yeah yeah. like genius when you listen to it you can hear that it's just pure just raw mm. and it's very it's hard to imitate that like it it's just that perfect synergy alchemy of the the, <coughs> the, rec, the production and the, the sample it's yeah. like it and it's and i think that's why it captured the world yeah, do you know what i'm yeah. saying and it will like it you can't really you can have like derivative versions of that but like it it, it, it you know when you've got it like it's like that it's, 
just that thing, that shit that I talked about earlier, where just, mm. ooh, I think we've got that special chemistry here, guys. Do you know what I mean? Well, I also, th- I also think you know when you've got it when everyone tries to emulate it. That's also true. And I think that's the, that's I mean? the amazing thing with that we see a lot in all music, right? You have somebody that's the the originator and then out of the originator you get all the impersonators which i have no issue with the impersonators because they're they're all doing their thing we all are to a certain extent because we're all taking influence from something but it's it's very i think when people start copying your sound is when you know you've you've done it but then you have to fucking move on and create something new yeah i think no but i think if I'm being honest with you, though, Will, like what you're describing is a symptom of just generally music, the music industry totally. as a whole. Like, totally. you know, like you sampling and dance music go hand in hand, yeah. like cheese on toast. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's our biggest house record of all time, all fucking samples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like one of my favorite ones, you know, is like some of the old Armour Van Helden stuff. Like so the good. drums were from other yeah. records and the whole thing was a fucking sample, you know, like, mm. and, Obviously, Norman Cook, yeah. another one of my people that I look up to, like, it, it, you know, it's, it, there's an art to that. 100%. Yeah. And like, and, it, and so I don't think we can ever hate on sampling, but I think it's uh, when it feels like it's being sampled for financial purposes, I think yeah. that's when it feels a bit weird. And I guess, but again, that's normal. You know, you, you, you like, if you trail through history, mm-hmm. you've always got the songs that you don't remember. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh yeah, I remember that. And if you actually do the background around that time, there was shit that was similar. That yeah. I remember, like, um, uh, there was this hip hop. Uh, sorry, obviously, Sweet Dreams, Eurythmics, yeah. like massive seminal record, right? Shout out to Eli Brown with this that amazing edit that I've been slamming all summer. Uh, the uh, uh, I remember <laughs> Martin Solvikos don't play Sweet Dreams, please don't. And it's like, and then when I played Eli Brown's version, it's like, out of all the remixes of Sweet Dreams, <laughs> I must say, this is one of the best. <laughs> like, but, but so shout out Eli Brown. Uh, but I remember I was doing my research um, and there was a song that was trending on TikTok, uh, this Silent Circle record, uh, Touching the Night. Mm. And it, it's kind of Euro pop, uh, but very similar to Sweet Dreams. Yeah. It, it would have been around the same time. You've never heard of this record. Yeah, yeah. Right? But it was a top 10. Yeah. But my point is, is like, it just happens all the time where the, you have songs that are a bit more of a flash in the pan, but I copy the bigger thing. It's just a common... Yeah. You, you need more music. And now more than ever, we need to, you know, the the, the industry wants as much music as possible because it's like, fuck, you can stream forever. And you like, make money uh, forever, yeah. And you've got all these... You got all these artists selling their back catalogs for millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, and you're like, "Yeah, it's the music industry's back at making money, which is really exciting." I think for everyone to a certain extent, and I think yes, there's going to be a lot more fodder out there. But hey, if it means that everyone's earning money, I'm all for it. All for it. And to be honest, I've had to check myself because, like, the streaming kind of fucked up my love of music a little bit, mm-hmm. like. It, I, I noticed yeah. and uh, for years that I wasn't listening to music anymore. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. it would just be on. Yeah. Like and so and and I'd, obviously I'd be listening to music, but like I, I was like, why am I not inspired? Like mm. I used to fucking listen to the same record for yeah. months. In your CD I'm player like, in your car or like on your Walkman yeah. or the vinyl. Like, dude, I totally totally agree with this. Totally agree. And and it becomes more throwaway, right? Yeah. And you're not, I, I, like, one of your skills as a music producer is having a big bank of music in your head. Yeah. Like, 
you know, your references, you're as good as your, like, the music you know. Yeah. If you're not listening to interesting shit, your music ain't going to be that interesting. Yeah, That's yeah. what I've found. So, like, if I'm listening to, like, really inspiring shit for me, mm. I always make better music because yeah. I'm, like, pushing myself. So, like, yeah, streaming kind of fucked that up. Yeah. I know. And then what it also did, like, whereas before... I'll take a record based on my opinion of it or perhaps my friends might tell me they love it so mm. that would influence me. Now, I'll look at the fucking stats yeah. and I go, oh, this must not be a very good record because it didn't, it didn't do that well. And I'm like, fuck. Like, no other point would you be so transparent about what, yeah. how successful a record is. Mm. It, do you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, but now I, I've got one playlist called the Ultimate Playlist and I, I put, so every song that I like and I only listen to that playlist wow. and um, and I shuffle it and it, um, it's really sick because mm. like oh I haven't heard that in a long time yeah, I was like oh yeah, and yeah. it's making me more inspired man I like that a lot it's, yeah I think looking at numbers whilst <sighs> I've spoken about this a few times on here as well and it's that the the battle between the artist and the businessman or businesswoman, right? Where you want to make the best possible music, but you also have to feed the beast of the business person. And you need to survive. Otherwise you should just go and get another job and make music. Right. But if you I think mean, about it, the most authentic, I, I personally feel the most authentic music actually is the most successful music business wise as well in the long term. If you're yeah. if you're writing the most authentic pop music, if you're writing the most authentic techno music, whatever you're making, I feel like eventually people really believe in it and and get it. Like Pharrell. I don't I, I've never been in the studio with him. Does he ever go in the studio and go, yeah, this is gonna stream? I don't Probably know. Not. Exactly. I, I, I think that in his heyday, like definitely Pharrell would have thought that, you know what, this is going to go. Like, I remember we used to laugh, like, because Pharrell basically made in that Neptune's era yeah. of like when they were just killing it, he basically made the same record with the same sounds <laughs> every time. It was, it was a fucking amazing. Like, it, like this guy would just get the clav, yeah. you know, clav, the clavinet out or whatever it was. And, it would just make the same song. Yeah. <laughs> but like, uh, but what would change is the personality, right? Exactly. Like, both, uh, you know, and the, um, the, the person on top would mm. give it life in a different way. And that was Pharrell's USP. Like you'd bring that character mm. out of the artist and put them on like a, quite a left field setting, yeah, yeah. but still poppy, mm. you know, I definitely thought he would have been cashed in checks. Like this is going to go. Oh, like, insane um, amount. Yeah. Of but, yeah, but like, do you, you know, I mean, like this is going to be big, like whatever. But I feel yeah. like what happens now to a certain extent, especially in pop music, and tell me if I'm wrong because I'm not in pop music, but like it feels like with the labels, with everybody involved, it's like, is this going to stream? And what what do we need to do to make this stream? I think like that ultimately, if you're making pop music, like mm. that is... Is that how one you of go? your jobs? Okay. Yeah, that's one of yeah. your jobs. Like you know, you're there to make music that's going to make or reach a lot of people. Yeah. Like, and by definition, that must have enough that gets people interested, but doesn't challenge them too much. Mm. Yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. the um, the the other stuff, like you know, we've mentioned them on this podcast, like artists that combine artistry with and becomes pop. And you can't 
you can't manufacture that. It's kind mm. of like a um, they they become pop, yeah. like and so then their job is to keep doing the same thing, you know. And and but also that presents different challenges. But that's another conversation. But I think that um, for pop music, yeah, your job is to make it reach and accessible. And so yeah, there's element of having a zeitgeist in there. Um, and I think, um, but the best creators know how to protect themselves and only expose themselves to that point of thinking at a certain part of the process. Yes. So the, the initial first day I write a song, which is all my favorite part, probably Mm -hmm. the process and probably the final bit, but the, um, the, that bit is free and we just let it see what happens. And it's about, trying to find something special in the air that is in the air that day. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I make it pop. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, and when I think about big pop guys now, I don't know, like the ones that have longevity, that's what they do. Like yeah. they harness the creativity that's in the air that day. That's something special. And then they apply the experience to yeah. it afterwards. You yeah. know, does it hit hard enough? Is the chorus big enough? And that's when you can go back and write, you know, or tweak. Yeah. Some artists hate tweaking. You know, I'm like, mm. let's tweak. Like we, but sometimes that's fun because it's like, you know, you want it to be the perfect version of itself. So, yeah. You know, and so the, yeah, I don't think it's all as cynical as you think. They're definitely going to be like, um, I guess, people that think like that. But there's a place for them too. You know, mm. for every, you know. So I think, um, you know, and if they enjoy it that is what it is like yeah. I, like i remember i used to think about kaigo a lot mm-hmm. and like you know it's hard sometimes me being the way i am you know and the way sometimes i view myself it's like oh that guy's really successful like maybe i need to do something like that mm-hmm. yeah and i remember but then as you grow out of that you know i mean some people never but i've started to grow out of it you kind of like you kind of go, do you know, that's what he does. Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. I can't actually do what he does. Like, I couldn't make that record that he makes mm. as many times as he makes it. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just not in my personality. And yeah. I think that's the bit you can't change, I guess, is that thing to you are. And that's what you mean by authenticity. Like, you totally. can try and do it and try and fake it, but there's only so far that will take you. You probably won't be able to keep it up because yeah. it's hard work. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think... I think you're right there, 100%. Um, out of all the success that you've had and are going to have in the future, um, are you happy? Now I am. I wasn't happy before. I think like the, um, before I was making music on very different terms psychologically. Mm. What, when, was... When's before? When, when's before? In I would say up to like a year and a half ago. Okay, wow. Like, like psychologically, music was a prison. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? It was like this thing that I had to serve. And if I weren't serving it, like, uh, uh, um, I mean, the words are shit. That was shit. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't, I wasn't doing what, you know, yeah. And I, I remember... Let's dig deeper on that. Let's dig deeper on that, though. Like, what... What is shit? Why? Like, what in in heads? What headspace were you in to make you to to allow you to feel like that? It's more like the my self esteem was so tied to yeah. it 
So you're kind of like, if uh, if I didn't make a good song that day, or I didn't think I, uh, you know, was performing in like in a way that I consider satisfactory, yeah. I was shit. Mm. And then what that becomes a, a weird cycle because then you don't want to do it yeah. and you avoid it, you know. And then so it becomes it was a struggle. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And um, I spent years trying to make the music making process more enjoyable mm. for me because it was just like it was just hard. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, like I remember doing remixes for me was one of the hardest things because it wasn't natural for me to change because my style is pop. When I was giving a pop record, I found it very hard to like make another to make yeah, something yeah. else. Yeah. yeah, and uh, um, I used to agonize over it, and it was so hard. Like, um, and I remember, yeah, my man, Dan would always talk about it. Like, and you know, no one really knows, and you, I didn't even really know why I was like that until yeah, probably the last year and a half. And so yeah, I'm I'm happier now. Like, uh, I'm less, and it's not because I'm successful, by the way. Because I noticed that no matter how successful it was, it would it would just be the voice of the what's the word like more the negative talk will just come and go. Well, yeah. that was that. Yeah, yeah. Now you're gonna do. You gotta yeah. keep going. Yeah. Or yeah. there's always someone better than you, or yeah. someone more bigger, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And it it, it it was a very you just I was just a slave to it. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? And like the um perhaps that's part of why my output was the way it was but all I, I still want to continue making good music or music that I think is going to do well but I just want to make it from a different place psychologically mm, so yeah. I'm not like it's not from a place of like stress and pain yeah. I'm more like okay cool like let's just like try and make it because we want to like yeah. do you know what I'm saying like it's like the you know I will compare it to like when you're nice to people, yeah, or you give to charity or whatever. I'm not being nice because I'm scared that you won't like me. Mm. I'm being nice now because I just want to be nice. Yeah. Do you get me? So that's what so, I'm trying to do now. What, <laughs> how, what's the process to get to that though for you? Oh man, I think it's a mixture of like uh, when during the lockdown, I did a, a bunch of therapy. Yeah. Uh, I, and we're having a child. So my daughter's now coming up to two. The combination of that two things yeah. uh, just helped me um kind of step back mm. a little bit having a, a child is as a which is otherwise quite a selfish act yeah massive uh, for me anyway yeah yeah you just it's all about my art and oh you wanker come yeah. on you know do, so it like, is, with, and it has to be right yeah. i and i and i don't like sorry to button and uh, we'll go back to what you're saying <laughs> yeah, totally but there's a point in your career where we we all have friends that haven't had any success in music and it sounds awful, but they're just not selfish enough. You have to get very selfish yeah. at one point, yeah. And I, but then having my daughter um, was the first time that I could. I was outside of that. Yeah, I'm serving someone just to serve someone. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And um, so that was great. And then it's like, oh, there's something I can love yeah. outside of this thing that feels really possessive for me. Yeah. Um, and then. And then I think I started off after, because literally lockdown hit. I finished Bricks and Academy. Like, we sold it out, mm. and then lockdown hit. The day after, I remember I thought I was fucking Noel Gallagher. I was like, fuck COVID on the stage. <laughs> and next thing, two years later, oh, fucking COVID. Do you know what I mean? And, um, the, uh, um, and I remember I took three weeks off. I was like, cool. 
And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to try and get to the bottom of this. Yeah. Like why I'm so uninspired and unenamored by the act of making music. Mm. So I saw some coaches, you yeah. know, did that. All felt quite superficial. Yeah. Uh, and then it was when I started looking at therapy and then kind of, um, and I remember he kept saying to me, uh, big guy Adam, he says to me, I'm not a coach, so I'm, I have no practical advice for you. And and I remember I would talk about certain things, and he sounds like he'll say that sounds like more of a coaching issue than mm. a psychological issue. So we, you know, we dig and dig, and then I guess kind of like um, I would recommend it as well. Generally, if someone's going to have a kid, men like it's worth just checking in with yourself because yeah. you, you, if you can start knowing, if you could start your relationship with your kids with you knowing more about yourself. Mm. Um, and it, you don't always have to have a problem. You just know him a bit more about yourself yeah. in like a really safe environment. You can kind of, um, you just can, you know what you want to teach your kids. And yeah. it won't just be like bias that you picked up growing up. Mm-hmm. Like you can actually make a decision about what you think. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's, so I, it was just great. But through that, I learned about me and my experiences and how that all contributed to how I feel and I didn't speak about it directly we just would be going and going and and through that yeah now I know when those feelings are coming up and where they're coming from and like why they're there and they've been really amazing for me they've been there to protect me you know to help me avoid perhaps things that I was finding traumatic do you know what I'm saying so like because of that um I'm they don't but at the same time it's educating them that i'm not in that place anymore mm-hmm. so we can make music from a different place yeah do you know what i'm saying yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's it's you know so it's a day by dating some days you you feel trashy some days you don't but like you kind of um overall it's fucking night and day yeah. like i just i'm less like yeah i'm just like if I, i'm like let's see it through like yeah. this is great this is more fun for me which i think is so nice to hear as a mate but also just is like generally in life to see somebody enjoy what they do because i think so many of us throughout life we have the best jobs anyone can ever wish for and we still go through life hating it or really sad or really um in a state of comparing ourselves to each other's and and not being able to work on ourselves i do it regularly if you know what i mean i it, i think if somebody didn't it would be wrong for them to say they didn't but i truly think therapy is like a one-stop shop to make you a better human being generally and whether that's to be a better father whether that's to be a better mother whether that's to be a better artist whether that's just to be a better human i think it's just important yeah you kind of i think the 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 physical nature of talking over a period of time with someone that's there to allow that space to happen yeah there's a biological shift that happens because you're you're allowed to go if you open yourself to you um, what you call it those processes that you've built up over the years Mm. they're allowed to come out within that environment and that's when you retrain them Mm. 
you know what I'm saying? Because you might get a different response yeah. to what you think you were going to get. Yeah, yeah. And it's like that, it's, yeah, it's, that can only come with time. Yeah. Like I'm doing it for a while. It's a fucking luxury though. Like, you know, and I, I bless the, you know, the mental health industry is not, incredibly expensive you know and in the uk so it, it, we're really lucky. in the uk yeah, yeah we're very lucky and people you know i, I was surprised at the cost yeah you know what i'm saying like of, of doing it so uh, yeah I, like it's made my relationship with music so much better yeah no man it's, <laughs> like, it's really nice to hear and i think like i've been really fortunate throughout my whole life like my parents are therapists and i've been brought up in like a well, you know how I've been brought up, but I've always been yeah. brought up around drug and alcohol rehabs and kind of in people, people at the worst stages of their life that you can possibly have before death, really. Um, and it's always been a massive, I've always seen the progression of somebody before therapy and somebody after therapy. And it's so nice to hear so many of my friends talk about being in therapy. I think it's so important. And it's slowly becoming less of a hoo-ha subject where it's like yeah. you're mentally sick because you're having therapy. No, we're all fucking mentally sick. We all have issues. We all deal with things differently. We all need to talk about it and we all need to learn how to process. And I think having a therapist that has zero emotional attachment to you, like eat, like they're not your mum, they're not your dad, they're not your girlfriend, they're not your boyfriend, they're not your son or your daughter, or they're not no your agenda. best mate. There's yeah. zero agenda. Yeah. And the only agenda is to help you learn, right? That's what you're paying for. I think it's really important. And if that can help people become better humans, but also make better music and enjoy their life, like fucking hell, you've, you've worked so hard over the years. You've had a very successful career. And for you not to enjoy that is fucking wild. So, I think it's like, the, it, honestly, it was wild to a point because it was like, how, what more do I need to do to make myself happy here? Well, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think I want to talk about this briefly, but like when you're in that and you're like, what do I need to do more? Like the how little does materialistic objects make you even unhappier while afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you... It dep obviously it depends what makes you tick right, right. so like yeah. i definitely love a bit of validation yeah. so you get that kind of like ego boosted on oh sick bro like yeah, sick yeah. car or like that whatever i like look i still wear jewelry of course like, yeah, yeah. I, like I, I i still got all of that but like the kind of you know because that kind of ghetto fabulous you know like black yeah man this is how, it's how you grew up what right you do. Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 and so like the but you're right it wears off and you're looking for that neck you're looking for, you know, that next thing to yeah. make you feel like that. And I'm very lucky. I never really got swamped in it because I'm not a very extreme person. Mm. Like, um, I'm very self, I try to be quite self-aware, but the, I remember reading somewhere that, you know, if you don't reframe it for yourself, basically, no, no matter, even if you become fucking Mark Zuckerberg, yeah, yeah. level wealth, you know, you will still fuck yourself struggle yeah, yeah yeah because you're just then a slave to trying to generate wealth yeah you could spend it all you know just to fill that void for validation yeah and it's just like you have to reframe it because you you're like you're just on the treadmill and you're serving it rather than mm. it serving you you know and i think that's the bit you know when people i remember when people go you have an amazing life whatever it is and 
it's when that didn't really make sense to me yeah i think i was like what do you mean like this is fucking pain bruv like you know but then i guess the yeah now i get i get it it's also really hard when you're in that situation right where you're you're so fucking busy like we spoke about it right before like we turned the podcast on it's like you don't want to complain because you know your life is better than most people and you don't want to complain because it's th- you're doing what you've wanted to do for the whole of your life. Yeah. But there's still a but. And it's working out what that but is. You can change, though. Yeah, 100%. Like the, I think that's the other thing, like, um, you know, comparison now is obviously a real thing now yeah. because you're kind of exposed to what everyone's doing, like, all the time, mm. where you never were really before. Yeah. Um, and I think that if stepping away from that, I, I would say now my desires are slightly different, mm. you know, like, um, you know, I love where, you know, making, I still love making records and I still like that, but touring is perhaps a little less exciting for me, yeah. you know, like, uh, because I've got a family yeah. and I want, and the feeling of being a dad um i find like i get a big buzz from that yeah and, like i really I, I you know being around for for her is probably a little bit more important to me mm. now yeah it, it is made like so like kind of but it, it also it's hard it's this is what i want to say with you saying that it sounds like you struggle to say that because yeah, because I am. and i think is it because you the the feelings aren't actually because it's actually how you feel but you don't want to sound ungrateful because of what you have and that you're touring and there's people that aren't i don't know what it is but like what is it i think it's when i the reason why i started with the word comparison is because you see other people living out their careers and obviously like you think you should be doing that. There's still mm. that part of you in mm. there when, and I don't want to, as you say, feel unappreciative or yeah. at odds with what is needed to be relevant now. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, but also I have like, if, yeah, if I was to dig deep, I'm like, wow, I really just want to be at home a bit more. And mm. then if I then analyze what gives me a buzz, you know, it's the, it, the biggest buzz is when you have, for me is when I have a record that, does the ocean drives or the when you don't know me it's like that i love that shit you know and so it's like okay i I can make a life doing that and still be around do you know what i mean and Mm. and like so you know it's just it's it's hard you know because it's you're you're having to say no a bit more and 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 i mean without sounding like a cliche we all know the effect of traveling a lot on your art your your music suffers the more you travel for me anyway like because it's like um I've I've noticed during lockdown it was loud and clear like pre lock before I started touring loads I proper started touring in 2018 mm. sorry we've got um let me just put this inside quickly one sec bro um but DeAndre's just bought me something to eat but the flies are at it <laughs> hold on <laughs> uh, give me a sec um um when you when before I started like touring and in 2018, like 2017, touring loads, you know, I was making music every day. Yeah. Like just, I would come into the studio 
nine in the morning and work till whenever I could. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? And that repetition would make good shit. Yeah. And the same happened in lockdown, you know, where I just did it every day. I looked after my daughter and I made music every day. And then I made more music that was successful. And I was just like, do you know what? It's definitely telling me something here. Like, whereas when I was touring, I always felt like I was fucking hanging on by the skin of my teeth. Like, because yeah. the juggle, do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, <laughs> so, I guess yeah. that's the difference between writing records that are really successful and that you can actually earn money from. Where you're and then it takes away the the need to tour, right? Yeah, a little bit. Like, but I feel like, you know, if you make club music, that's kind of what your, I guess your, that's part of your culture yeah, is yeah. To, to be in it. It's yeah. like kind of, I guess it, it's kind of, I, I do reflect on that a lot. Like uh, the the nature of that, and I I did a lot more clubs this year, and I was like, man, I, I when I meet other club DJs. I just don't love it as much as they do. Like they fucking love it. Like, <laughs> yeah, mate, I love it. Do you know what I mean? And we would have this conversation. I'm like, bro, like, do you like, you know, <laughs> like, are you sure you want to go and do that for me? Like, <laughs> yeah, I fucking love it, dude. I'm like, fair play, man. You know, and I think that's the bit about being authentic, man. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. So I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm making that transition. See, see how it feels. Like, do you know what I mean? No, I love it, man. I love it. Um, we've just done an hour and pretty much forty-five minutes. I want to wrap it up with one yeah. more question that I've started to ask a little bit, and this isn't necessarily music-based, but if you could give advice right now, for right this moment, it can change tomorrow. But what would that advice be? To whom is it aimed at? Anybody, not in music, just life. Because I think I think this podcast obviously talks a lot about music, but I think a lot of these people that are listening aren't necessarily even in music industry or anything like that. And I think we all have a life. Yeah. Oh, man. I think something that I'm thinking about a lot is try to work out what your definition of freedom is and mm. chase that aggressively. Yeah. Like, yeah, in, in life you have um, your fitness, your freedom, and your family. Mm. So in like your relationships, then your health. I think the bit that makes you happy at the end is freedom. Mm. And I think if you set that as your goal, and work out, try and, it might change over time, but if you chase it, you kind of live a life that you want. Do you know what I mean? Love that, man. Love that. Dude, thank you for being on. Um, I love you. Keep safe and keep doing what you're doing. I love you too, bro. Peace. I can't man. wait to, uh, to see you soon. I know, <laughs> I know, definitely. Right, let's wrap this up. Big love. And that is a wrap. Love that conversation. Big love to Jax for coming on. Uh, thank you for listening. Please share. Please send it with everyone. Keep safe. And I will see you next time. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today. 
at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, are you a super fan of Taylor Swift, Jelly Roll, or Morgan Wallen? Are you that song nerd who likes to dive into every little lyric of every little song and figure out what everything means? Do you want to take that a bit further, though? Because I have a podcast called Songwriter Soup, and it dives into the journey of a songwriter and how those people help craft the soundtrack of your life. I'm Laura Veltz, and I'm bringing all of my friends together to discuss our funny little job writing for all of your favorite artists. Listen to Songwriter Soup wherever you get your podcasts.